Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Man City finally win at Anfield, Man United let it slip in Fergie time, Chelsea and Spurs win again and our Arsenal just really unlucky. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by the one and only Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So thanks for coming on and facing the music today Joel, a lesser man probably would have told me where to go. <laughs> it was tempting, I should have done it, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself but here we are <laughs> Well ho- hopefully this will be a cathartic experience for you as a Liverpool fan and I, I promise I will try not to gloat too much <laughs> <laughs> uh, We'll start at Anfield where Manchester City finally ended their 18 year wait for a victory on that ground Last time City won there in 2003, I was so sure we wouldn't win, I went to see X-Men 2 at the cinema instead uh, So I'm glad I got to witness this one, albeit not in person uh, Which brings me on to my first question, and I feel like it's kind of the elephant in the room here Do you think this result would have happened on Sunday if there had been fans in attendance at Anfield? Um, it's impossible to say, um, but the thing is that I know that this is coming out as a factor behind Liverpool's recent form now that a lot of people, and maybe using it as an excuse, um, maybe not an excuse, more of a reason, but I, I, the thing is I'm not really sure I can subscribe to, to that being a reason. Obviously, it is a factor. I mean, we, we can't, Big up Liverpool's atmosphere and Liverpool's fans without without saying that it could work the other way when they're, when they're not there because as we've well seen with when City have come to Liverpool in the past how, how you know they've been the better team but they've gone to bits because of the fans um, and I think Raheem Sterling's performance on Sunday probably symbolises that more than anything else because Sterling is clearly a mentally strong footballer, mentally strong person, but. Whenever he comes to Anfield, he, he just seems to go to bits, as, as you all know, well yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, he's one of the best players in, in, in the league, but he, he just never seems to be able to do it because he's got the fans on his back. But um, I think on Sunday, he was he was unplayable, and I, I think he's he was boosted by the fact he went there and, and he could focus on his game more. But the, the, the thing is, possibly it could have been a factor. I think one thing that reminds me in the first couple of minutes is. We expect Liverpool to go hell for leather when it comes to City. The only way Liverpool can beat City is by run, running off the park, and mm. they have done in the past. And I remember, um, I think it's like three or four minutes in, Edison miss kicks the ball straight to Manny, about you know, 25 yards off from goal. And I think if that, and, and Liverpool don't do anything of it, Manny turns back and actually plays it back to a midfielder. And I think it's only a little thing, but I know the fans have been a bit on that. They would have been roaring them on to sort of, you know, and then Edison may have made a few more mistakes from, from that. Possibly been a factor, but I can't, I can't, every, every team in the league, every team in, <laughs> playing football at the moment has got to deal with no fans mm. in the stadium. And I just don't think you can put Liverpool's performance on Sunday down, down, 100% down to the fact the fans weren't there, or Liverpool's poor form down to the fact fans weren't there. Every team's had to deal with this, and every team has found ways to deal with it or or get past it in certain games, and, and Liverpool just haven't at the moment and didn't on Sunday. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as thrilled as I was to see City win this game, I must admit that there's a tiny tinge of disappointment that it happened behind closed doors for me. It's almost like it didn't really happen and it still hasn't quite kind of sunk in. Um, I mean, there was, there was a stat doing the rounds last week about how there have been more away wins than ever in this Premier League season, which kind of proves the importance of the, the home crowd I guess yeah. um, and part of going to an away ground you know is like feeling like you're outnumbered entering enemy territory you know and then hopefully going on to silence the home fans during the game if you just play in an empty stadium where the seats are a different colour to your shirt it's not quite the same thing 
is it? So I'm kind of hoping that there will be another, uh, you know, result, a good good result for City at Anfield uh, at a later date when fans are in the stadium and we I can properly not. kind of enjoy that. I'm sure you do, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll be four one again, but uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see how things pan out. I guess. Um, another stat doing the rounds after this game is that Liverpool are 27 points worse off than they were at this stage last season. Do you think that says more about how relentless they were last season, though? Because I, I was quite shocked by that stat because it doesn't feel like they've been that bad to me this season. I don't know how you feel about it. It's, it's a weird one at the moment, Dan. And, and the thing is, Liverpool have been relentless for three seasons now. And and the thing is, they've, they've amassed title-winning points um, totals at the last two, three years. And, and I think that this season, it's just... You, you, as, you, as Man City proved last season, you can't keep going to the well and keep doing it you know, four or five years on the go. It's just, it's just impossible. Like, mm. at some point, there is going to be a drop-off. And I think... It's it's really interesting because I think Liverpool and Man City are having mirror seasons a year after each other, which which should provide Liverpool fans listening to this hope that they can you know be back next season, can recover from this because Man City lost nine games last season and and looked awful for the vast majorities of the campaign. Um, and I, I remember a lot of the noise in the summer, and, and maybe even at the start of this season, actually, was, you know, has Guardiola just ran these plays into the ground? Are, are they sick of the intense training sessions? And and these questions that I think are being asked of Liverpool now, whether, you know, is it, is it, just, is it just too much? You know, do they need to completely have a rebuild? And and, and the, I remember these, I've probably made these noises myself about City in, in the, uh, before the campaign began, about whether you know they've got a lot of players who are nearly thirty, who have done you know three or four seasons on the go, and need to maybe you know refresh up a bit. And I remember looking at Bernardo Silva, thinking he's just not the same player. Mm. And as he just as his legs just fallen off, you know, even though he is quite young. Um, but then obviously they, they've managed to recover and, and do what they're doing now. That you know, they are they are the Man City of two three years ago again. Um, so Liverpool should have hope for that. And but I, th- I think this this year it's just. They just cannot keep going as the way it is, and this is always, I think, inevitable to happen. Especially because we just don't have the, the squad to be able to, you know, change eleven players and and have the same effect on the games. But but yeah, I think it's just this is just inevitable, sadly. Yeah, well, I think Jamie Carragher was saying on Monday Night Football, wasn't he, that um, City should be kind of the example to Liverpool of, of yeah, how, they, how they can kind of get back to, to where they were. And, and the past couple of years, the past couple of seasons have really shown me how quickly things can change in football. Like, I didn't see City's drop-off coming last season. I thought they were going to, you know, maintain their level and probably get, you know, 95-plus points last season. Um, they, they lost nine games, as you said. And, and you know, it was only six weeks ago that Liverpool beat uh, Palace 7-0. And yeah. I thought they were going to cruise to the title at that point. So, you know, it, sh- it shows you how quickly that can that can drop off um and yeah you know the, the example that i always look look at as well is um is alex ferguson's united uh tenure you know they they had some stinking seasons um in amongst his his glorious you know trophy wins didn't they 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 had they had lots of lots of times where they they finished well off the pace and then what was great about ferguson was that he was given the time to to, to stay in that job and keep reinventing the team and, and stay there and keep you know keep rebooting them whereas in modern football you don't necessarily get that time i think someone like guardiola was always going to get that time uh i would imagine Liverpool Paul will give Klopp that time you know yeah, exactly. he's obviously still going to be there next season isn't he but you know if, if they don't win the league next season uh, I would imagine he'd still be there the season after if he wants to be as well so I think I think both clubs are in quite privileged positions in that respect but but yeah it's um, 
It could all it could all change even this season. It wouldn't surprise me if there was another big twist to the tail this season. You know, you look at the game City have got coming up. Um, I, I don't know if Liverpool are going to win the league, but you never know. I'm, I'm not sure. I think I think it's done with Liverpool now, but and I think City do look relentless. But as you say, there there is always a maybe a little twist in the title race as well. It is only February, isn't it? Um, but I mean, City look right now. City went on to win. The next ten games it just would not surprise me, and that wins wins in the league by a canter, doesn't it? But yeah. there, there is, yeah, possibly. I, I think Liverpool are done. I think Liverpool now have got a fight on to get into the top four, and um, I do. I think I'm confident they'll do it, but I think it's going to be a bit of a scrap. But then I think if if you are Leicester or, or if you are Man United, um, although I don't think United have got the ability to do it, I, I, I do think you know your your races are run just yet. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, well, a few people have said that the uh, the lack of fans has, has hindered Liverpool this season, along with the injury problems. Do you do you fully buy into either of those excuses? Like, even when it comes to injuries, like just to play devil's advocate, shouldn't they still kind of have enough quality in that squad to cope? Like, who who, who was kind of missing from the team on Sunday? Van Dijk, Gomez, uh, Matip. I mean, they're three players who play the same position, aren't they? Really. So, if you kind of take those out, then the, the team isn't that bad, is it? You know what I mean? It's, it's difficult because the three players from the same position. And, yeah. and as we've pointed out before on the podcast and, and in articles, is that it's made you know Liverpool's two best centre mids go play centre back and Jordan Henderson for Fabinho. Well, Henderson's only played a few games there recently, but he's taken Fabinho out of the team, which you know, out of his natural position, which has been you know pivotal. Um, I, I remember last season with City, they, they lose America with Laporte, and then a lot of. The reason behind City's drop off was a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's down to Laporte not being out." Yeah, I'm not sure that's completely true, but I, th- I think it's been pivot- it's been a reason why to Liverpool's detriment the the injuries. But the, the thing is, we, we've known about it since you know October. So Klopp and and, and, the, and the rest of the backroom staff and the rest of the players, they've had time to adapt to it. And I, I don't necessarily think the Van Dijk injury is one that actually killed us off. I think it was the Gomez one, right? Because I think we, we actually won our next five games after Van Dijk got injured with, with Gomez at the back. Um, and then you probably don't have to buy a centre half or two centre halves in in January. But I actually come to January. I think I think the, the fact that Liverpool did their business late. Has been the one that's. I, I think. I think that's the main factor why it's, it's dropped off. Why they're not going to win the league, and I think this is where some blame has to fall on the owners. Um, n- not necessarily thinking that okay, we, we buy the centre halves early enough and they become world beaters. But you, if you buy them at the start of January, where you know you've got this issue already, they, they only went to buy these centre backs, uh, Quebec and Ben Davis, because Matt had got injured and he's out for the rest of the season um, in, in the Spurs game, which is only two weeks ago, but. Surely they would have known about Matip's injury record, and surely they would have, you know, it's taken a gamble. If, if you buy it at the start of January, you have games at home to Burnley, at home to Brighton, away to West Ham, where you can get these lads in and you can train them for three or four weeks, and maybe they can even get to a position where they start against City on Sunday, and then you have Fabinho back in midfield, you have Henderson back in midfield, but they didn't, they didn't do that, and and then we we lose the games that we do in January. And I think that's that's essentially what, what's done us because you could lose against Man City at home. That can happen and still, and still win the league. 
Um, but the fact that they didn't do the business start of January when they knew they had this issue, I think that's been the decisive factor why they're going to win the league this season. To be yeah, honest. well, it's funny. Klopp said before the game, didn't he, that he wasn't going to play Kabak. Um, he was on the bench, wasn't he? And I think Davies yeah. wasn't even in the squad. But no. and he, he basically said, like, I can't just throw them in uh, for the first Premier League game against Man City. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, yeah, exactly. It's not going to happen, is it? So, um, and you're right about Laporte being sort of. Uh, cited as, as sort of the principal reason for City's downfall last season. I think that was perhaps over exaggerated a little bit. Yeah. And but 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 even so, City went out in the summer and were like, "We're not going to let this happen again. We're going to make sure this does not happen." Now, City are in a very privileged position in that they can drop a hundred million players on two centre back, uh, hundred million pounds on two centre backs um, in, in Ake and, and Diaz, and that's that's probably what's you know really if if they win the title will will be the decision that really clinched it for them i think um it feels like a lifetime ago now that we we were talking on last week's podcast about liverpool being back in business uh they've lost two games at home since then you said then that they've been lacking confidence at times this season it's it's made them kind of dwell on the ball a little bit do you think this was the case against against city i i certainly thought city were the sharper of the two teams in the early stages yeah, I think, I think to be honest, there wasn't much between him in the first 45 minutes. And, and obviously, you have the, the missed penalty. But the thing is that, that sort of killed me about Liverpool and it was really frustrating to watch is that in these games in, in the past, um, Liverpool blown City away in the first 30 minutes and, and have won the game in that period. And they had the potential to do that again on, on Sunday. I mean, I, I don't think much was made of Sadio Mane's miss in um I think it was quite early on. Yeah, he has a header which just goes over. And as conscious, I was watching. I was just like, "Oh, it's you know, Manny's missed it." But for a player of his quality, is a really bad miss. But I think what we what we saw from Liverpool was they would get into space where they would be on the counter attack, and did it three or four occasions where they would be three on three or four on four. And and there was one particular moment where Curtis Jones wins a tackle high up, and he, he's he's bearing down on goal with Salah, Manny, and Firmino ahead of him, and he sort of turns back and plays it back to a midfielder, and he, he just he just thinking Liverpool have built themselves on those exact moments and score a lot of their goals from from winning that ball high up and, and doing that and catching teams off guard. And it just shows that at the moment something's just not right with his. It could literally be down to confidence, but I think on Sunday that that proves that it, something's just not clicking at the moment. They just don't have the confidence in their ability to do it. Um, and it's really frustrating to watch because there were chances there. City didn't really press Liverpool that high up. They sort of were confident enough to let them play and knew that they would get their chances themselves. And and I, I think it was clever from Guardiola because he he knew that. With with the lack of fans, with no fans, and with Liverpool's situation at the moment, he knew he could win this game without going health level himself because he knew at some point Liverpool were going to shoot themselves in the force, which he did. Yeah, well, historically, like City go to Anfield and you can tell that they're frightened to death. Whereas in this game, it looked the other way around. It looked like yeah. Liverpool were more scared of City than Definitely. City were scared of Liverpool. And I saw a good gif on, on Twitter this morning um, that kind of showed how good City were at getting uh, men behind the ball when Liverpool were trying to overlap with the fullbacks, which is obviously like a big thing that Liverpool do, isn't it? You know, that's one of their main attacking avenues uh, coming down, down the floor. Flanks and City really like dealt with that well, I think, and I think that was a that was a big reason why why they won this game as well. Sinchenko was brilliant. I'm, I'm yeah, it's going to go unnoticed by a lot of people, but Sinchenko held Salah and then. Um and Trent and actually dealt with them <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Um, City of course missed another penalty at Anfield in the first <laughs> half before Ilkay Gundogan did redeem himself by scoring twice in the second half um, Liverpool then equalised from the penalty spot uh, there was a bit of controversy about that penalty with, with some suggesting Salah dived to win it what was your take on that one? 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen the memes, I've seen all the gifts, I've seen them all, <laughs> um, and you know it's it, 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 it Salah has done this in the past where it's made me a bit of a nervous reaction, but I, I still think it's a penalty. And yeah. I think I think it, it, it maybe Salah thinks he has to do this. I think so he maybe has to go a bit over the top sometimes because every game he's got a defender basically with his hands around his neck and he doesn't get anything for it and, and, and I think sometimes well most of the time I think that's just it's just the defender marking him but you know some, on some occasions it is a bit over the top and a bit overzealous from the defender and he doesn't get fouls for it so I think sometimes he feels he has to you know, be a bit dramatic to win the penalty, but I think I think there's no complaints. I think it was. Yeah, I had no complaints about it. I think that was a classic example of a player uh, diving while also being fouled, which you know is is kind of fair enough, isn't it? Really, if yeah. if yeah. you know, I think even even Sterling, uh, you know, definitely in the past has has kind of had issues where he's been he's been clipped and he's not gone down and he, and he stayed on his feet. And I think even even the instant uh, where he won the penalty against Fabinho, maybe he didn't. You know, necessarily need to go down there, but he did no. because you know he, he had to to, to 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 prove to the referee that he'd been fouled. So exactly. I think Let's that was sure. yeah. yeah, and uh, and I think that was probably Ruben Diaz's first mistake in a city shirt as well, which I thought at the time was like typical city. You know, <laughs> we're defending so brilliantly, he's been so brilliant, and our, our first kind of uh, error of of in months comes at Anfield, uh, but it all worked out in the end, I guess. Uh, Liverpool had their their best spell of the game after that equaliser, but then then they threw it away. All, you know, largely thanks to two goalkeeping blunders from Allison. Uh, as I said to you uh, on Slack during the game, what the fuck happened to him there? <laughs> I mean, has, has his footwork ever been something that you've been worried about in the past? Like, did he just, I mean, Klopp said he had cold feet. I, I think he was being facetious there, but <laughs> what what happened to him? Allison isn't as good of his feet as a lot of people would have you believe. Right. It's, it's never really been that much of a problem. He's just... I think when when he arrived, people were talking about him being, you know, someone who's going to be able to build attacks from the back, and and I, I guess he has done that to some extent in the, in, in the past. But um, he he's not. I don't think he's. I don't think he's immaculate with his feet. Um, sometimes he, he just seems to think he's got more time than, than he has, and, mm. and I think on Sunday it's, it's just it's it's just what I, 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 the coffee thing's weird. I, the the fact that a few people said because he's been ill this week has been. It may play the factor in it. I, I, I don't really want to subscribe to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit sounds a bit bizarre to be honest. Yeah. But um, he's it, one. He's probably one of the best in his position, and if not the best in his position, um, in the world. And he's gone and made two mistakes in the same game there, which I, he just can't atone for. Like. I was thinking, so like Alex McCarthy of Southampton, he's a very good goalkeeper, but is horrendous at kicking the ball out. He doesn't, he doesn't do that in a game like that. He he may make one mistake where he kicks the ball right to an opposition player and he scores, but then after that he wouldn't do it again because he just wouldn't get the ball again, and it, or he just kick it into the stand every time. And I, I think it's just one of them where it's just one of those moments that that's just. I think just displays what Liverpool are going through at the moment, where nothing's working and everything is going wrong, and it it just sums them up. And I, I think you think all you can do is put it down to it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you know what? We'll play against Leicester on Saturday, and, and I think you'll be all right, and you'll be fine, and you'll get over it. Alisson's made mistakes like this before, and in the same game as has gone and pulled off a world's ever save. So I think it's just literally. No, no more explanation about him. It was just one of them, or or two of them, to Yeah, well, that, that, I mean, that's sort of the thing. Like, 
the the first one, it, you know, shit happens, doesn't it? You know, he, he gave the ball away twice uh, in the build-up to that first goal. Um, the goal comes, okay, move on from it. And then for the defenders to still be like passing the ball back to him after that, you think just give him like five minutes yeah, to kind of get his head nerd, together. Yeah. yeah, and then before you know it, they've, they've passed the ball back to him and he's done it again. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it looked like he'd had a total meltdown. I expected them to find him walking down the M56 in just his underpants <laughs> later in the in the day or something. It was Try for Dundee as <laughs> Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but also credit to City for making the most of those chances. It's not as if they were totally just put on a plate for them, and no. and especially for Phil Foden, who who was outstanding with it, with a superb goal and, and an assist. Um, I mean, I, I'm not just Foden's biggest fan at this point. I think I'm also his most devoted. Um, I think we've got a generational talent on our hands here, and you know the fact he's a boyhood City fan just makes it so much more wonderful for us. Um, do you think he might already be a world class player at 20? I agree. Yeah, I think he is. You know, um, and the, th- the thing is, he's he's done it now at Stamford Bridge and Anfield, where he's ran ran games. He's ran games at those grounds, mm. and they had a match that going to win Man City the league. They're going to be decisive games, the, the massive games, and he's just he, he's coming to his own. And, and, and it's it's testament to him and testament to Guardiola that up until maybe even three or four months ago, there was still criticism about the minutes he was getting on the pitch. And and you know, and saying that he's not going to be used, he's not being used rightly by Guardiola, and I think it just proves that the result there's a plan all along, and it's it's paid off. It's worked because he 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 was everywhere on Sunday. I think he's literally played three or four different positions, mm. and he he's just every time he gets the ball, you know, as an opposition you know, fan, he just wants to get off it straight away because you know he's, he can hit you, and um, the finish is sublime. Um, and I, and you know what you, you sort of alluded to it there about you know being a local lad and, and being one of one of yours and it's always obviously every fan likes it when one of one of their own come through and and are good but it's it's a difference when when they are world class player like we have it with Trent where you know obviously not in form at the moment but we got one of the best play you know one of the best players in his position in the world mm. and and, and he, you know comes from around the corner and it's, it's there's something a bit different about that isn't it you know, obviously you love it when you've got Aguero or Salah and, and and they're you know as good as they are but when it's someone that you know you you probably been hanging around with lads similar to it and they're coming and they're just you know incredible on the ball it's it's brilliant to see isn't it and how do you feel about him at the moment did you feel like sort of he wasn't being used rightly by Guardiola, but I mean, the fan has worked. Or yeah, well, I think everyone has been a little bit kind of concerned uh, over the last couple of, couple of years about whether we were kind of like wasting this this guy's talent. You know, yeah. not just for City but for England. Uh, whether you know Foden was going to get a bit disillusioned and want to want to do what Jaden Sancho did and go go to Germany or somewhere and, and you know seek first team football yeah. uh, over there. Um, I think there's been a lot of kind of tough love from Guardiola towards uh, Foden. I think even after the Liverpool game, he was like very keen to kind of keep his feet on the ground and, and kind of play down his performance and, and point out that he, he didn't have a great first half in this game actually and looked a bit lost up front in that, that false nine role but yeah I mean y- you look at him and and uh the way the way he ghosted past Jordan Henderson for that second goal was, was yeah. amazing. You know, this this sort of comparative talk about him, uh, how he compares to other English midfielders like Mason Mount, um, Jack Grealish, uh, James Madison. I think he's better than all of them, to be honest, because I think he just does stuff that that most mere mortals can't do. You know, e- even the, the the goal in this game, the way he just sort of like shifts it onto his left foot past uh, Andy Robertson, who, who's one of the best left backs in the world. It was like he wasn't there. Um, he, he's doing and stuff like that and you know there's there's um a picture of doing the rounds of Foden at the moment 
walking out of the tunnel as a city mascot in 2007, <laughs> holding hands with Martin Petrov. And I'm like, <laughs> I was at university that year. Like, and now this kid's, this kid's crushing it for us. It's, it's, it's a very weird feeling. Um, City's next five games, they've got Tottenham, Everton, Arsenal, West Ham and Man United. I'm a natural pessimist and I'm feeling a bit cautious about, about all this title talk at the moment. But for you, you're convinced, are you, that they'll, they'll romp to it now? Yeah, and I think at the end of those five games, we'll we'll we'll, know, we'll have the answer whether we're going to have a title race or not. But at the moment, you know, they you know those names look and sound a bit tough on paper. But you know, you think of the way Spurs play at the moment. So you think that you know, I don't think my my United do have a little finger over City, don't they? But uh, um, maybe that's the toughest one. But with 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 West Ham, I think City will breeze past that. I think, yeah, I just. I just don't. I just don't see. It. I don't see how anyone gets near them now in, in the league. I think Liverpool were the only team capable of doing it, even if they, you know, they haven't been on form this season. Um, I, but I just don't see anyone else. Um, maybe, it's it's just one of them with City. They're, they're just so clinical and so ruthless. And it's so funny that we're saying that now because literally four or five weeks ago we were saying City's problems are not clinical enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they've they've discovered it again and that. They just want to. They're in the form. Guardiola's best form is manual career, isn't it? Mm-hmm. With, um, with the amount of consecutive wins, and I just, yeah, I, I just don't think anyone gets near them at all, mate. No. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I promised I wasn't going to gloat, but I have to ask you this: Assuming Liverpool don't win the title this season, do you think they will still have a parade for last season's title, as was talked about, or is that ah. kind of sailed now? It'd be a bit embarrassing having to borrow the trophy from another club, wouldn't it? <laughs> You know what? I literally had a chat with someone about about this like about an hour ago before we came and we started recording this, and <laughs> it's just weird now, isn't it? And you know what? The internet would have a, would have a fucking field day if we did this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 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 harsh. You know. You know what? It, it, I you know what I feel for the players that they don't get to celebrate that achievement, and obviously mm-hmm. feel for us. There's obviously worse things going on in the world right now, and um, so you know we can't sort of you know play the, the violence too much on that. But it, you know. It is a bit sad, and, and I, you know what? I can see the funny side for everyone else that Liverpool waited thirty years to win the title, and it's just one thing where we don't get to celebrate it, no? and it's going to get forgotten by everyone else. But you know what? It was you know what we we had nice of it when it happened, and you know we celebrated the way we could. But yeah, I definitely can have a parade. Okay. Yeah, and do you know what? I'm I'm worried about Liverpool next season now. I'm worried about how they that the, uh, them coming back into it. Should I say? You know, I'm worried about the, their threat to City in terms of how this will probably kind of like fire them up, and I want them to be determined to do much better next season. So you know, the, 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 I'm sure you will uh, you will get to see your team lift the Premier League trophy one of these days. <laughs> Just maybe not this season. <laughs> Uh, Manchester United's title hopes were dealt a big blow when they conceded an injury time equaliser to draw 3-3 with Everton on Saturday night. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said after this game that United shouldn't even be considered title chasers, never mind contenders. And that really wound me up, you know. Like, do you think he should be able to get away with saying that considering the money they've spent over the past few years? Like, he's, he's essentially admitting that he's out of his depth by saying that, isn't he? Um... I definitely should get away with that now because Manchester United should always be challenging for the title. Um, and I think if you know United fans on this podcast, they'd be arguing that they've been going through you know a transitional period and a rebuild period over the last yeah, couple of seasons. That's been last. That's last like eight years now, isn't it? Like yeah. when, <laughs> when 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 does it end? I agree. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. you know what? I think you know what they'll, they'll say the start of next season this year we tra- we challenge for the title, but. It's, the fact is, United. It's been there for them this year. You know mm. what? They, they 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 should be more in the, in the race now, and and they, maybe they are. But I, I would say five points with City having the game in hand 
is maybe too much of a gap. That that will become eight, I imagine. And I, I don't think United for United to overcome that, they're going to have to pretty much go two points a game the rest of the season, and I can only slip up, you know, once. If definitely not twice. I don't think United have got that in them. They, they've got a Sheffield United at home mm. in them again. That that will happen again. Um, whether that be home or away, they, they just got that kind of result in them, which which City haven't. And uh, and yeah, I definitely should get away with it. And I, I think with Solskjaer, he's clearly improved as the coach this season. But there's there's still saying so he's out of his depth. I, I, you know, I I think I've believed that all season. Yeah. Um, and and I, and I think yeah, there's there's an he's got to improve as a coach again to make United title challenges. And I'm not sure he's necessarily got that in him. And he probably is admitting that there, isn't he? Yeah, it, it, I think it just frustrates me from from sort of a City fan's perspective in that, like, well, for a start, if if City had come out this season and been relentless like Liverpool had been last season, if they'd won, like, you know, 20, 19 of the first 20 games or whatever, um, then I'd say, fair enough, they've got, you know, one of the best managers in the world, the most expensively assembled squad in Premier League history, you know, who can compete with that? But City gave, like, lots of teams a head start this season. Like, City were really poor in, in, the, in the early start of the season, you know, yeah. couldn't score goals, couldn't buy wins at one point. Um, so, so I think like you know, United should have been considered title chasers in this season where it was kind of open, as you said. And also, like, I don't think you can just get away with just sort of writing stuff off. Like, City don't get to do that. City always have to be moving forward. They always have to be winning. And if the if you know second place is nothing for City these days, whereas a club like United, um, who you know are this historic club, have, have won all this this stuff, and uh, you know are supposed to have this winning mentality that you know bleeds, you know. Winners is written through them like a stick of rock and all this, all these cliches. It's in their DNA and all this kind of stuff. I feel like they've slipped into a bit of a loser's mentality in the post-Ferguson era. And I think like that's going to be the first thing that has to change if they're to be serious contenders. They need to get a manager who's going to come in and go, nah, it's not acceptable. Second place is not acceptable. Third place is not acceptable. We need to be winning. Do you, do you agree with me there? Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, uh, we both know, we've, we've grown up with it where... Man United were just ruthless, ruthless, absolutely ruthless yeah. at winning titles, and and and, and it's weird because I, th- I think Liverpool were in this position a couple of years ago, um, and and also in the position now where you know top four is is the the epitome of the, the height of the aims, and I never thought Man United would fall into that boat. You know, we, we, you know, plenty of United fans, I know plenty of United fans, and. I remember them being sort of laughing at us when we were saying, you know, get top four this year, this is the aim. We're saying top four in August. Yeah. And and we, when we were like that, United fans would, would, would score for that, would, would laugh their heads off at it. And it's just weird that they're in this position now. And it's it's funny to see, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Long may it continue. Uh, well, they, they were 2-0 up at halftime here, courtesy of a goal from Edison Cavani and then an Eric Cantona-esque lob from Bruno Fernandes. Uh, was that a goal of the season contender for you or, or should the goalkeeper have done a bit better there? It's, it's clever for him. He, he spotted something and, and, and the, um, the, the technique of it is great and he deserves credit for it. But I do think... When when I first saw it, I did think it was, it was a bit weird. It looked a bit weird. It looked like the goalkeeper maybe, you know, if he jumped. <laughs> yeah, he, he got lobbed out. on his line, didn't he? It's yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think if you're getting if you're getting lobbed or chipped as a goalkeeper, you can always do a bit better. It's not one of them where you can blame your defenders for it. It's it's always you should be able to do a bit better from that. And mm. I, I do think yeah, Robin Olsen he had a bit of him there on 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 uh, Saturday night, and yeah, I think I think some blame comes down to him for this. 
Yeah, this is going to sound a bit laughable, and I'm not <laughs> in any way comparing myself to Bruno Fernandes, but I reckon I could have scored that goal with that kind of space, with that kind of like angle, and if you just cl- if you just clip it cleanly towards the back post like that, I feel like quite a lot of people could probably pull that off. You've written Especially yourself if, a check there, you're going to have to cash it. Get me on the pitch at Old Trafford and I'll show you. I will show you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Robin Olsen had a shock on United's third goal as well. Uh, David De Gea didn't exactly cover himself in glory either. Do you think both of these clubs should be looking to sign a new keeper in the summer? Do you think Dean Henderson is uh, is the answer for United? I, 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 the jury's still out on him, but I think he's done enough and De Gea... Has, has done enough to, to aim Henderson a chance uh, to be given a run in the team. And Henderson's had a few Champions League games and a few cup games this year. Uh, I don't. He's, he's done himself no no, um, no foul at all. Um, and I think with the hair, the, the decline's been there for years now and been evident to see. And, and I think he, he's probably just, I think this is the end of the road for him, to be honest. And I'd be surprised if he's still first choice come, you know, come August the next season. Um, so, but I don't think United necessarily need to buy a new keeper. I think they've got, they've got actually two backups there who can do the job. Like Sergio Romero is a, a very astute goalkeeper, and I can't believe he's still there, to be honest. Yeah. He's had two windows now where he could have got a move, and he, he hasn't done it. Yeah, that's so true, one, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what one of them has, should have their take, uh, chance to take a claim. With Everton, yeah. I mean, we've gone about Pickford a lot on this podcast, and I think. I think, yeah, I, 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 he's always going to be a problem for them. And, and, and Olsen, I think, was, was, brought, was brought in as a, you know, a backup. And I don't think anyone expected too much from him. And he's only on loan. And he was talking over the weekend that you know, he, he expects to make that move permanent. But um, I don't necessarily think he's the answer going forward. For, he's not the goalkeeper for the next 10 years, let's say. Yeah. So I think Everson got some business to do in that position in, in the summer as well. Yeah, that was that was really poor, that third goal. I think the Olsen twins would have done better with that one. They? <laughs> <laughs> um, Everton scored with all three of their shots on target. United have now conceded 18 goals at Old Trafford this season, which is one more than they did in the whole of last season. Um, do you think a new centre-back should be high on their shopping list too? I mean, I've, I've not been impressed by Victor Lindelof throughout his entire United career. I, th- I thought he was pretty poor here. And Harry Maguire as well. I mean, he, they spent a lot of money on him. Obviously, he's the captain. I feel like that's a little bit dangerous for them in that he, he almost has to play now with Maguire, doesn't he? He does, and it's with Maguire. He gets that move at the back of the World Cup in 2018, doesn't he? Where he was brilliant, and you know he's scored goals as well. Mm. But I never thought he's an 18 million, 80 million pound defender, and I don't like using price tags too much to sort of beat defenders with or beat beat players with, should I say? But he, United were buying him, so he was their Van Dyke basically, mm. or he, and obviously in the future he was Man City's. Um, he was there, Ruben Diaz. He was the defender brought in to sort us out their problems and, and take them forward. And he had to be flawless, which Van Dijk has been, Ruben Diaz has been. And, and, he, and he's just not. I think Maguire's a, an all right defender. He's good. Um, and he probably is, maybe even is a top four defender, but he's never going to be a defender that's going to win the leagues by his performances alone or, or, or be commanding. There's always going to be a problem for him there. And he can be good for four or five games, but he just he hasn't seemed to cut out the silly mistakes. Like I know, I know the Carvalho in sec, um, the third goal on Saturday wasn't necessarily Maguire's fault, but he is playing them all on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's something that uh, uh, the defenders can do this, but he's he's worth eighteen million pounds. He's playing for Manchester United. He's the captain. 
I don't think you can keep doing that. And, and he's done it before, and he'll, he'll probably do it again. And he gets found out for pace a lot. And I, I just think he's an issue for them. Um, but you can't go and you've got, you've got to play him. You can't drop Maguire now, can you? Because the money spent on him, he's the captain. They're going to have to stick with him. And, and you know, maybe the next defender buyer has got to be the one. It's got to be the Van Dijk. It's got to be the Diaz. But. That, that's a bit of an issue for them, and I think it's going to keep on continuing to be an issue for them. That's it. I mean, maybe they'll get someone who who is their Van Dyke, who is their Diaz, and he will bring the best out of Maguire, like like Diaz brought the best out of John Stones. You know, like uh, yeah. like Van Dyke brought the best out of Gomez, uh, whatever. Yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll see. Yeah, um, and I thought Everton were much better in the second half here when they gave uh, Abdoulaye Decore a bit of, bit more license to bomb forward. They were a bit more played on the front foot, and and then he of course scored scored their first goal and assisted their second goal. Do you think that's how how he should be used from now on? A yeah, bit more box-to-box. Box. Yeah, he, he ran the place in the first um, 20 minutes of the second half and gets him right back in on, on his own, really. Um, but I think they've not had a, a land there for a few um, few months now because yeah. of injury. And I think they've had to sort of be a bit careful with him. But uh, Tom Davis is doing all right at the moment and, and it's doing all right in a deeper position. Mm. So maybe Decore will have a bit more license to go forward now because it's proved that it's worked in the second half. And yeah, I think he's, one, he's a fantastic footballer for us and, he, and he's one there we can win matches or get them back in matches on his own. So, yeah, they, they should be using that for, for more often. I definitely think so. Yep. Uh, well, Aston Villa completed a first top-flight double over Arsenal in 28 years when they won 1-0 at Villa Park in Saturday's early kickoff. That result means Villa now have 35 points, as many as they managed in the whole of last season. Do you think they're possibly the most improved team in the league this year? I think so, yeah. I mean, they only stay up last season due to, you know... Um, the goal line technology not working. Yeah. They were that close to going down. and It's incredible to see. And I think they've been a team that's benefited from their recruitment departments getting it right this, this summer because they're bringing Ollie Watkins, who a lot of Premier League teams didn't want to take a chance on, mm. even though he's been he's been ripping up for Brentford for a couple of years now and, and doing well at Exeter as well. And they're taking a chance on him and, and he's transformed their attacking line. And you'll run all day for you, and you know take a chance on Barkley as well. And you know he's been injured for a few few months recently, but when he has played, he's been brilliant for them. And, and those two have brought up best in Grealish as well. And, and I think he's one of maybe even one of the most improved players in the league because obviously he was great last season, but he's now you know he's one of the best players in, in the league now. And I think. Him improving and coming to that stature has, has helped them as well. But I'm not sure about yourself. Can you think of anyone else who could be one of the most improved teams in the league? I think they've got that mantle straight off, haven't they? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone else has either sort of like dropped off a bit or or um, or been sort of the same level as they were last season, weren't they? Do you think? Do you think Villa might have an outside chance for chance of Europe this season? I think so, definitely, because they keep getting results, don't they? And, and yeah, I mean, they're ninth at the moment, lose. so there's a few few teams ahead of them in the queue. West Ham, I suppose you could say, are, are another improved team this year. Yeah, that's very true, actually. But yeah. I think the thing is, with, uh, you, you expect a drop-off on West Ham at some point, don't you? And I'm not sure, definitely get the vibe of what Villa are doing that. I think they'll lose a game, but then they'll go win the next three. And mm. I think that could get them over the line, actually, for Europe. Yeah, well, you mentioned Ollie Watkins there. That was his 10th goal of the season in the Premier League. Uh, he didn't score between November and January, but that's now four goals in his last five appearances. Do you feel like the, the Premier League's been a bit of a learning curve for him? I don't know if learning curve's the right uh, word for it, actually, but, you know, he's looking the part again now, isn't he? It has taken a while for him to settle properly, but um, I've, I've never had any doubts that he was going to be able to do it because he, he just looks like he's, he's very tackly astute and he's very aware of what he needs to do as a striker. And 
it's it is good seeing the lower league striker come up and, and, and do the business in the Premier League and, and I, I think you're right to use the word learning curve there because you know earlier on this he, you know he, he scores where he, he does well against Liverpool in the seven two mm. on like one of his first games and then after that he, he, he does go a bit quiet and um and, and you know maybe he, he just tries to sort of feel his way into the game a bit feels way into the league a bit but. And, and I think that's been exactly it. It's been a sort of a linear trajectory for him mm-hmm. because he was quiet for a few weeks, maybe a few months, and then, then suddenly, you know, he's scoring goals regularly now, but he's also contributing to, you know, helping set up goals as well. And uh, he looks every bit of Premier League player now, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And that was also Villa's 11th clean sheet of the season. Uh, do you think being being coached by John Terry it could be the secret to their defensive success this year? I mean, it can't hurt, can it? <laughs> it can't hurt. He's been one of the best Premier League defenders ever been. <laughs> yeah. That must be. It's interesting to see you know players, world class players, turn to good coaches or not, isn't it? I mean, hasn't mm. necessarily worked everywhere with you know seeing with Lampard, but yeah, I think John Terry's been linked with the Bournemouth job at the moment, and it'd be interesting if he goes there now to see whether you know he is a business or not. Mm. I'm quite happy for him to be a successful assistant manager. I don't want him to be a good manager, though. I don't think. <laughs> no, I'm <having> that. <laughs> uh, that's our two defeats on the spin for Arsenal. Uh, they failed to score for the third time in five games. Do you think they should be worried, or or do you feel like they're building towards something and perhaps not quite getting the rub of the green at the moment? I, I think they were okay in the second half on, on Saturday, and they, um, they they were actually they were getting in quite a bit and, and probably looked like they were going to score um, went with Pepe on the left, and then. You know, I think Arteta sort of shoots himself in the foot by bringing Willian on and moving Pepe over to the right. And you know, Pepe was ripping Matty Cash inside out, and then mm. Willian comes on and, and does nothing. Um, and it's it's bizarre, but they've improved recently, and I, and I think you know they've, they've had a you know good little run, um, and and I think they deserve credit for that. And I think there, there is something there. There are bits there, but. You know, I don't think they're going to be challenging with the top four this season. I don't think they did even say that themselves. Um, so, I th- but I think I think Arteta's proven that he he can ride the wave a bit with negative results and and bad runs and and, and quite on the other side. But at the moment, their their squad just massively unbalanced, and it just isn't what maybe what Arteta wanted to be. And and I think it's, it's just going to take a bit of time for them to get there. But I, I think there are there are glimmers of hope there for for Arsenal fans to cling on to. But right now in, until they can get to the squad the way they want it to be they're going to have days like Saturday quite regularly yeah they, they need a proven goal scorer I think don't they they've uh, you know Lacazette isn't it uh, Aubameyang hasn't been great this season hasn't been playing uh, due to injury lately so I think they've they've really been missing him this season so I think that should be pretty high on their, their shopping list in the summer um, speaking of Lacazette what did you make of that penalty claim that he had in this match I mean Emmy Martinez did pull him down but Lacazette was pushing him first wasn't he yeah, in one um, the cliche six or one half dozen of the other. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, I don't mean give a penalty if I can. Yeah, no, nah. I don't think I'm on that. Not for me, Clive. <laughs> uh, Chelsea made it three wins in a row and four matches unbeaten since Thomas Tuchel took over with a uh, 2-1 win at Sheffield United on Sunday night. Mason Mount gave Chelsea the lead with a nice goal here. Phil Foden has dominated the headlines this weekend, but I don't think Mount is too far behind him, is he? Um, I mean, England are really spoilt for choice when it comes to, to midfield options at the moment. Yeah, and as you said earlier, you throw Grealish and, and Madison into there as well. And mm. I don't think it's necessarily you know, a bad thing. I, I do think Foden probably just edges all of them. Um, but I think Grealish probably comes the closest to him than everyone else. I think Mason Mounty probably can do his business a bit deeper as well. Um, and if, if you talk in England, that's probably where he'll end up playing. I mean, it, it, in the, in the summer, before going off on a tangent too much, in, in the summer, Southgate's going to 
you drop two of them. He's only going to take two of them. Mm. And I think there's going to be a kickoff of what he does eventually. But with with Mount, I've never really got it that, that you know, people criticise them really on the season and, and making noise about him being, you know, you know, you know Frank Lampard saying, you know, he's kind of teacher's pet kind of thing and that's why he's getting picked. And it, it, when he was getting picked for England all the time, there was there was noise sort of made in a way that when Owen Harkey used to get picked by England. Yeah. About, you know, no, no one's seeing it and no one understands it. And I didn't really get it because Mount's been always been a good footballer to me and I don't think he's ever done himself any, anything any wrong at all. He He's very technically good. He's very good tactically as well. And I think he's a very good footballer. Um I don't think he comes near Foden, you know, naturally anyway, but he's serious to keep playing for Chelsea and deserves to start every week in my eyes. Yeah, I think it's probably because his name's Mason Mount. It sounds like he's a, a fictional character or something from like a, a children's comic book or something, doesn't it? Yeah. Balamori or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Sheffield United got back into it courtesy of a comical own goal from Anthony, uh, Antonio Rudiger, uh, but Chelsea soon went back in front from the penalty spot after a pretty obvious foul from Aaron Ramsdale on Timo Werner. Uh, referee Kevin Friend initially waved that one away, but then it was pulled back by VAR. Do you think uh, VAR has made referees kind of second guess themselves in those situations and, and should it be seen as a good thing that they no longer have to make snap judgments because they've always got VAR to fall back on? I think they, I think what it does is that they've only got a safety net now and I think I, I, I think they all doubt themselves a lot more um, obviously we, we can't tell because we can't hear them mm. and we can't tell what they're thinking but I, I think they know that VAR will, will always there's always got the back. We'll always call them back if it's, if it's a wrong decision, and and it, it, maybe maybe that's a good thing. But the, the thing is, I think that allows referees to get worse, and and it allows the referees to sort of be not necessarily lazy, but sort of just leave someone else to take the brunt of the decisions. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't think that ne- that's, that's necessarily a, you know a good thing in in, in the, the grand scheme of things because. We, sh- we shouldn't have to keep relying on VAR referees. Sh- you know, should have that job and, and should be good enough at, at that job. That VAR is only used when, it, when in the extreme circumstances. To be honest, and it's not in the moments. It's, it's just not. It's, it's there every game, and it seems to have a say say in every game as well. And 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 I think the standard of refereeing's got to improve before we uh, and as well. We can need to improve VAR as well. But yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that you always hear, isn't it, is that uh, it's not it's not the VAR's fault. It's the, it's the the way the technology is being used. It's the people being being put in charge of it. I mean, yeah, I, but I do have sympathy for the referees. I do think, like in that situation, it's 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 brought an element of doubt in uh, to the table. Uh, you know, Kevin Friends probably looked at that and thought, well, I think that's a penalty, but I'm not really sure. And that you know, moments hesitation before you know it, the ball's down the other end of the pitch and play's gone on, hasn't it? Really. So, um, I think it, I think it's a good thing, I guess, that they can always just pull it back if. If they're not a hundred percent sure, and you know the same with offsides, we've seen in recent weeks, you know uh, that the, the the officials are being told to keep the flags down if they're not sure. So it's just, I think it's just going to be one of those things. It's going to take some time to really get you know working fluidly, isn't it? Really, um, that's now fourteen games without a goal for Werner, but he has six assists in all competitions, more than any other Chelsea player this season. Have you been seeing uh, sufficient progress from him in the last few games under Tucker? Do you feel like he's, he he knows his role a bit better than than when Lampard was there? Yeah, he looks a bit more confident, a bit more sharper. Um, he just needs to get that goal, doesn't he? And it's one of them where the old saying that just needs to go in off his arse or something, just one of yeah. them. And, but the, the thing is, you know, watching him against Spurs and, and Sheffield United the last two games, and he looks a bit more sure on the ball. His touch looks looks like it's back. 
And I think it's only a matter of time before he does get that goal. And I think that can only be a testament to what is being done on, on the training pitch. Um, he's also sort of playing along the line as well. They've sort of played, you know, freak forwards over the last couple of games. And, and Vin has not necessarily started centre and played their own game. He started on the left against Spurs and moved in field. Against Sheffield, he played a bit more as a nine. But he, he, he sort of did that at Leipzig in the second season at Leipzig where... He played along the line a lot, and, and I think that maybe that's something that Tuchel has seen. And, and I think I think same amount of time. I think at the end of the season, we're talking about Werner looking like he's going to be on fire. To be honest with you, I, I really think that at some point it's going to work for him. Mm. Well, Chris Wilder said afterwards that Sheffield United are fighting and punching for their survival, which is a, a great image, isn't it? Um, I, I do respect <laughs> I, I do respect them for keeping their heads up, but it, it's just not going to happen, is it? I don't think. Yeah, like I said last week, I think they just ran out of time already. Yeah, they haven't they haven't proved, and, and they look like they, they can get a few more results in. But I think that the first half of the season just killed them, and, and I think that's just a bit too far for them, sadly. Sadly, yeah. Uh, well, Tottenham are up to eighth in the table after a 2 0 win over struggling West Brom on Sunday. Harry Kane scored the opening goal to move level with second place Bobby Smith in Tottenham's all time uh, scoring charts. He needs another 58 goals to match Jimmy Greaves' record of 266. Do you think he'll stick around and chase that record down, or, or might he start looking for pastures new in the not, the not too distant future? It's an interesting question because he's at the age now where that move has to happen. Probably this summer, or as it won't, and he, mm. and he will just be there. And I think it's a fair question for him to ask himself whether he wants to be there because you know what, he might enjoy the fact that he is the captain of the club that he loves and that you know he can remain there till he retires and, and, and be happy with that. But if he is someone that wants to win trophies and wants to challenge for the league title season after season, which you imagine he's ambitious enough to want to do that. I think he'll know by now that that's not going to happen at Tottenham this season or next season. And you know, eventually Spurs might improve and, and get back to that stage. But it looks like for now that that time has passed. And for that to happen at Spurs, under, with Kane there anyway. Mm. Um, and I think I think it's, that could be something that actually becomes maybe a bit of a saga over the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and we love, we love a saga, don't we? Oh yes, uh, you know. <laughs> so I think it's something that you know you, you've got United and you've got City, who maybe you know on a day might have a question of what another number nine or a new number nine. You know, City <laughs> prove they haven't needed one this season, but you know, Aguero eventually is going to move on. If it's not this summer, it'll probably be next. Jesus maybe isn't the one. Maybe isn't the answer. Man United have got Cavani in there and proving that. You know, they need to play that kind of striker to work, but Cavani is obviously not going to be there forever. And I, I think some, something could happen. Some, things could fall into place where Kane maybe moves to Manchester. I just don't know which club, but I think that's something that could, that could easily... Uh, uh, easy formulator over summer to be yeah it's an interesting one with him because like you know if a club does come in for him Spurs will rightly say well we want at least 100 million for him yeah. if, not, if not 200 million even in this kind of economy um, do, does a club take uh, a punt on him for that much money given his injury record that's the thing isn't it that's you, the you, you'd be that, in yeah. two minds about that wouldn't you so because he's always got one and he's got two months out of the season hasn't he yeah I mean I think he, he has to make a choice whether he wants to be a, a Tottenham legend or a, or a, a league winner at this 
this point because it doesn't seem like Tottenham are going to win the league anytime soon. No. Um, but I also feel like the choice might be taken out of his hands at some point and he might end up staying at Tottenham just because clubs aren't willing to really take a punt on him, which is a, a shame because he's an incredible footballer, isn't he? Um, you know, the, the stats prove it since the 2014-15 season. Spurs have won 56% of their games with Kane in the team, but just 41% without him. Their goals per game also dropped from 1.9 to 1.2 when Kane doesn't play. I mean, that tells you they're a bit too over-reliant on him, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think it does. You know, plenty of teams are over reliant on on one player, and I think but I think Tottenham are in a position they are where you know top four is probably the best they can hope for because they are over reliant on Kane, and it's weird because you know they, they do have a lot of attacking players and and, and good players as well who can come into that team like you know Son, Lucas, Lamella. You know, a lot of teams would love to have that front three, and but they just don't seem to be able to fill the gaps enough when when Kane isn't there. Um, and I think that's the case. Yeah, I think that's always going to hold them back until they find a way to develop without him there. That they're always going to just be over reliant on him, aren't they? Yeah, you mentioned Lamella there. He had a really good game. Um, he's been at Spurs for a while now. He's he's never really truly lived up to the expectations he brought with him. I remember that being a really exciting signing for them. And he's been decent, yeah. but not amazing, hasn't he? But you know, as as one of their senior players, do you think he's he's probably a good good guy to have around the place? Yeah, I, th- I think he's another one of them where injuries just curtail them season after season. Mm. He always seems to pick up a few knocks and, and, and you know, misses six to eight weeks. And it's it's always a bit surprising when he, when he starts because you always think he's just, he's just injured. And that's, you know, it's a sad thing for him because, I, like like you said there, I've always been impressed with him when, when he has played. And, and I think he is. He's different to what they have got in, in attack as well because you've, you've got... You know, Lucas and Bergvine and, and he was, you know, very quick and very direct. And Lamena's one of them. You can, you can pinpoint the pass and play the final pass and come, you can come in on his left foot and, and do a bit of business on there as well. And yeah, I think he, he these plays lavish. It's just a shame that he's just not managed to stay fit for, for the majority of his first career. Yep, indeed. Um, I heard Mourinho was shouting at his players to press all through this game, which which is great, but isn't that something they should be doing automatically by now, considering he's been there for 14 months? Like, What else have they been working on the training ground, if, if not that? That's a pretty fundamental part of the game, is it not? No, absolutely. But it's funny you say that, because I think one of the criticisms of, of Spurs is that the fact that they sit back a lot and... Mm. You know, you say that's what they've been working on, but it's very well doing this against West Brom, but against Chelsea in midweek, you know, they they they, they sat back. They were pretty much in, you know, back in, into the um, the stand behind the goal. They were that deep against Chelsea, and it's you always wonder why they don't do this in the majority of home games um, mm. or t- against teams of lesser opposition. They just don't seem to do it every week, do they? So maybe they don't work on it. <laughs> perhaps not. Yeah, perhaps Mourinho like caught a City game on TV recently and was like, ah. <laughs> that's, that's how you do it right <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> uh, as for West Brom that's now 15 defeats and 54 goals conceded 28 of which have come in the 10 games since uh, Sam Allardyce took charge could this actually be the worst West Brom we've ever seen in the Premier League and w- do you think they would have been better off just riding it out with Slavin Bilic because you know Bilic's last game was a 1-1 draw away at City and I thought they were really good that night they were really fighting for each other I've not seen an awful lot of that fight under Allardyce so far I agree I, f- I think I, you know they got to the stage where Allardyce always seems to be the thing to press the red button for, and mm. if you're a team in that position. But anyway, I, I agree. They, they were much improved against Man City, and, and they look like they had a bit about them. And it's 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 just not worked, has it, with, with Allardyce? And I, I, maybe this has been a job too far for him. But you know, I think he's walked into a squad which just isn't his kind of type of team, and. I think that that's been the issue, and I think they are down. I don't think there's any way that they can they can pull it off now. And 
you know what, they, they may as well go for, for a record like, you know, conceding the most goals in the Premier League season because, you know, it'd be funny for them at least. Because um, <laughs> they're not going to stay up now. You may as well try and break records and they can't get Derby's record. So let, let's see what else they can make. Yeah, maybe that's one of the good things to come out of this season that Allardyce will no longer be seen as that option uh, that clubs always always fall back on. Like, yeah, you know, cl- clubs might actually stick with the manager and give them a bit more time instead of just going, oh, we're panicking, let's get Sam Allardyce in, he'll yeah. sort it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Allardyce said something post-match like, um, we had two goals rightly disallowed, but at least we're scoring goals and we almost had a third. It's like, nah, it doesn't really work like that, Sam. (laughs) They're not goals unless they count as goals, you know? Um, He also said, we've got to start winning games and we won't do that by keeping on losing, which you you cannot fault that logic, can you? No, you've got to agree 100% with that entirely. Well done, Sam. Spot on, Sam, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Southampton followed up that 9-0 defeat to Manchester United with a 3-2 defeat at the hands of Newcastle on Saturday. That's now five defeats in a row for Saints. Um, We talked on last week's podcast about how badly they crumbled with 10 minutes at Old Trafford. Uh, Newcastle had Jeff Hendricks sent off in this game and then they went down to nine men after an injury to Fabian Scher. Um, did Newcastle perhaps show how, how playing with fewer men uh, than your opposition should be done? Yeah, and I, I think the way that they were able to do that is because they're, they're pretty much every week in with 11 men, they play without the ball a lot and they, they rely on sort of sitting back and frustrating teams and then working with the ball when, when you know they can counter-attack and that's that's mainly how you do it when you play with ten men. You, you sort of fall back to that as a default tactic, and I think that's what they did on on Saturday. And because they're so used to doing it, it, it wasn't. It, it maybe it wasn't actually a bit of a hindrance for them, but they actually had more of an excuse to do that because they were playing with lesser men. And I, and I think yeah, they did that. They did it fine. And they held out, but you know, they're always going to do that against a team that's been hurt by being beaten 9-0 in the past week. Like Newcastle should have won that game and they, they did the job and fair play to them. Yep, fair play indeed. They had 26% possession, which uh, must be must be pretty <laughs> be close to the, to the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Willick scored a nice goal to open the scoring in this game. Do you think he'll be a good signing on loan from Arsenal? Yeah, I think it'll work out from there. Um, you necessarily, it doesn't necessarily work out from Newcastle. I think it, it'll do him the world of good. Um, I don't see why it won't work out for Newcastle, to be honest, because he, he's a bit different to the midfielders they have, because he's very good at making that sort of third man run, that late run into the box, and he's a bit more of a goal scorer midfielder. And you know, he did, they did the business in the Europa League for us all this season. Yeah, and I'm a bit surprised he's let him go, but I, I, I guess in, in a way, they want him to get minutes and um, for him to come back and you know a bit more experience. And I think, yeah, I think, I think goal parties that work maybe should work out for, but but definitely for Willock. Yeah, he was saying after the game that he told uh, Alan Sam Maximan before the game, like, just cut it back to me when you when you get in some space on the flank and I'll be there. And and, and uh, so it proved, yeah, nice sort of Lampard-esque late run into the box, wasn't it? Um, the, the other two goals were scored by Miguel Almiron, who who took a, a while to get going at Newcastle, but he really looks like a Premier League player now, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he won them. He works hard. He's um, running all day for you, but he's also got, you know, a nice little touch and he looks like he can, you know, affect games in the final third and, yeah, that's good to see because he seems like a nice lad as well and, and it's good to see him affecting the game and, and, and Newcastle have got these type of players and it makes you wonder whether if they had a bit more attacking manager they'd be able to you know let these players off the leash a bit more to be able to do a bit more damage to teams but it's you know it is nice to see for Almiron definitely yeah the fact uh, Almiron uh, wears black boots as well makes him look like a relic from a, a bygone era doesn't it like he's <laughs> sort of been transported from the 1950s or something yeah um, it's the first time Southampton have lost five consecutive top flight games since September 1998 uh, Ralph will collapsed to his knees in tears after their last win against Liverpool do you think that was maybe perhaps a bit of a, a premature reaction and, and maybe it's had a psychological impact on the team to kind of take 
take the foot off the gas and go, well, we've sort of achieved everything we set out to achieve now. Do you know what I mean? I think there definitely could be something that, you know, because it's sort of like they've sort of reached the epitome of their game, the epitome of their season. Yeah. They've beaten the champions. And, and, and I think at the time, it did put them in, in the European places. And, and I think you know, maybe they just sort of choke themselves a bit and they sort of thought, okay, we, we've reached this in, in January and this is what we've been working towards all the season. But it, they've just not been able to ma- maintain it. And it's, it's, it's a weird one that they, they've fallen off a cliff so much because... You know, first half of the season, I thought they were one of the best teams in the league, to be honest, the way they played the football and the results they were getting and the fact that they did run all day and they caused teams a lot of problems. And it's just, you don't know you can put that down to, the fact that they've fallen off so much, whether it's a mentality thing, whether the players they've got just just aren't psychologically strong enough. And and but and I think that maybe that comes into it. You know, they, they celebrate that result over Liverpool and it's just completely killed them since. I think it's, it's wild to see, to be honest. Yeah, I think they've really missed uh, Yannick Vestergaard in, in recent weeks. I mean, he played against 100%. Newcastle and, and didn't have uh, you know much of an impact on them defensively, but but I think he's been a huge loss for them and, and Jan Bednarak uh, keeps scoring own goals and nearly getting himself sent <laughs> off, so that's not that's not helping matters either. Can't help, no. <laughs> no. Uh, on Monday night, Leeds leapfrogged Arsenal into 10th place with a 2-0 win over Crystal Palace at Elland Road. Uh, after we were talking Gary Cahill up on last week's podcast, it was, it was sad to see his career ended by Rafinha in this game, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, a very funny tweet off the One Football Twitter account, which you should all be looking at as well, um, displaying that video of Rafinha doing that. Um, <laughs> while you know what, you see more of that to be honest with you, because you don't, you don't see it enough of a players just just ending careers and and sending defenders to the shop. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. More of that, please. <laughs> well, Rafinha's been really impressive for Leeds so far. I mean, they spent just seventeen million pounds on him from Ren, and he he's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He's also what I, he's got what I can only describe as very Brazilian legs. Do you know? What I mean by that, he's got that kind of spindly legs, socks pulled over his knees. He just like that. That those legs could only belong to a Brazilian footballer. I mean, I've, I've never noticed his legs, but um, I'll <laughs> definitely have to keep an eye out for that now. It's it, with the fingers of Rafinha. I think Patrick Bamford said after the game that he he surprised more. You know, big clubs weren't after him, or more well-established clubs weren't after him, and I, th- I think that's the case. I think I'd be very surprised if he's playing his football at Elm Road the next season. To be mm. honest, I think he's shown enough now that he can do the business for you know a top six team or a top European club as well. Well, Liverpool have scouted him. Apparently, I assume you wouldn't be uh, against that transfer if it ever happened. I mean, he's not Harvey Barnes, but he's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Patrick Bamford scored his 12th Premier League goal of the season here and his 100th career goal, which sounds impressive, but he has made almost 300 career appearances. So it's a a one in three uh, ratio. Um, Do you expect him to be a a more consistent goal scorer now, or do you think this is maybe a bit uh, bit of a purple patch for him this season that won't last? um, It's hard to to say. I I think it's one of them that he's benefited from not having the fans in the stadium because um, maybe he's someone that's affected sometimes in, in the other way by fans where you know, he maybe isn't great with the pressure put on him. And, I mean, that's, that's only sort of speculating because obviously we can't decide that completely. But, he, he, you know, he's been he's been best form of his life this season and um, I think he's one of them uh, when he can psychologically focus completely on the game and his task in hand and his job, he can do it. He's been doing his job perfectly for Leeds over the past couple of seasons, but he's now even added goals to his game and 
you know what, he's, he's getting talked about being mentioned by England and I don't think he'll make the squads for the Euros, but he deserves to be mentioned in that bracket now because he's been in great form and you know, he looks a good player. Yeah, I think they've got some friendlies coming up, haven't they? So it wouldn't surprise me if he got a, got a nice little call up there because I don't think he's, he's been capped before. Um, no. Yeah. We said we said there last week that, that Palace would struggle without Wilfred Zaha. They've now lost 17 of the past 19 games played without him, including all four in the Premier League this season. Um, that's a lot of pressure on, on new signing Jean-Philippe Matata, isn't it? And uh, I don't think he did a, he did too much uh, in this game. No, the, the fingers were him. No, he, when he's not getting service and he's not getting... He, when he passes into the box, crosses into the box, he's not going to be able to do his business, is he? And, mm. and I, I think, you know, back to sort of Sarah, it's probably one of the most important, if not the most important player in the league, definitely one of the most, because without him, Palace just aren't a team, are they? And they, they sort of ride out and hope for nil-nil draws or one-one draws, and that's not a tactic he can do. And if, if you silence Sahar, you silence Palace. And it's, it's, I don't think there's another player in the league. We mentioned Kane there with Spurs, but... I don't think there's another player in the league who is that pivotal to to their team, and mm. without their without them, the team is nothing really, is it? It's, it's wild. And surely, surely he's going to leave in the summer. Finally, surely someone's going to cut a come in for him eventually. I think they might pass him by now, isn't it? It's Maybe, yeah. Twenty eighth, yeah. Just one in. I don't think that's going to happen now. Yep. Uh, update on the Roy Hodgson algorithm: eight wins, <laughs> five draws, ten defeats. They're losing too many games, if anything, aren't they? Yeah, but he'll sort that out. He yeah. will sort that out. He he will make sure they get at least two more wins, and you know when it gets into the season, five draws in a row be sound. <laughs> Uh, West Ham missed a chance to move into the top four when they could only draw nil-nil with Fulham on Saturday evening. Uh, there isn't much to talk about from this game aside from the Thomas Suchek red card, really. I mean, firstly, as, as a huge Mike Dean fan like myself, you must have been <laughs> upset to hear that he received death threats as a result of that decision. It's ridiculous. Um, obviously, the decision is, you know, Again, ridiculous and you know, strange, and, and, and I don't know why it comes to that. But the, the thing is, uh, people take football too seriously, and um, to sort of have death threats and, and to get to the stage where you, you want to sort of message someone or tweet someone or, or send an, you know, an email or whatever and threaten someone's life, how, how has it come to that? I just, mm. don't, I just don't understand it at all. And and and, and you know why, <laughs> this is why you sort of the things won't change with referees and why, you know, people talk about referees coming out and explaining their decisions. I don't think we'll ever get to that stage or, or ever you know, get to the stage where referees, you know, improve unless we sort of adapt and or, or fans sort of adapt the way they treat referees. They, they sort of treat them like the enemy and like they've really affected mm. their lives. And, and obviously football is important to everyone. It's a, it's a big thing in everyone's lives and, you know, I, I for one can say that because on Sunday nights, you know what, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever felt so low in my life for a long time. Oh. Um, but <laughs> you'll enjoy that. <laughs> but the thing is, maybe we take it a bit too seriously. And, and we have to remember sometimes it is a leisure activity. And um, mm. getting to the stage where you threaten someone's life because they've done something against your team. I, I, that just sounds ridiculous. It's very um, hard to get your head around, isn't it? As a kind of rational thinking person, and, and there's been a lot of talk lately about um, about social media anonymity and and how you know players are being racially abused and, and yeah. all that all that kind of stuff. And it's like uh, I don't know I don't know what the solution is because I think we've gone beyond. It's it's almost bigger than racism. It's it's sort of basic human decency that people don't have that people um, feel they can hide behind sort of these anonymous uh, social media accounts and say whatever they like to people. And even, you know, you look at any kind of like big accounts, Twitter on, on uh, uh, 
you know, any any day of the week, really. Um, you know, even the one football one, you just get people saying just stupid things in in the replies all the time. Not you know wishing death on people or being racially abusive, but just saying like ridiculous things all the time. And that's what sort of social media has shone a light on that people are just mental, aren't they? People are just ridiculous. Yeah. Get away with it because would they ever say these things to someone's face? No. You know, it definitely would would be like you said there. The ad behind the keyboard, and it's just. You just want people to think more about what they're saying and, and the effect that could have on someone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a shocking decision, though, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he, he watched the replay back 23 times on the pitch side monitor before brandishing that red card. Uh, David Moyes called it an embarrassing decision, while Ian Wright said it was the worst decision he'd ever seen. Are you with him on that one? Quite possibly. Uh, but the, the thing is, uh, and to be fair, Alexander Mitrovic, has, he, he's played his part. In, yeah, in I thought that as well. But, but yeah, he thinks he falls down, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, if, if he doesn't fall down, I don't think there's a decision to make. No. Um, and I, I see, but I think it's one of them where he's just reactive instinctively. He's thought, I've got a chance to get a lad sent off here. I'm going to do it. But then he, I think he's, he's done that very quickly and he's very, then very quickly remembered that it was ridiculous. And he does go over to try and seemingly help the situation and he has helped the situation afterwards as well. Apparently, yeah, he has said something to the FA to help get the red card taken off. Um, so fair play to him there. But again, if he didn't do that, I don't think it would be as good to me. Yeah, it, do- it doesn't really take uh, anything off off Dean that though for me. Like I think he's still got to look at that and go, it clearly wasn't accidentally. He was just trying to sort of move his arm out of the way, wasn't he, and caught him. In the- Dean has seen his chance to be the star of the show yeah. in a game where nothing happened. And he, he's, he's just done well for everyone else, you know what I mean? He's made an event, he's made entertainment and you you got you to gotta sort of bow down to, to his um, entertainment value. Yeah, well he's shown 7% of all Premier League red cards now, Mike <laughs> Dean, so you know, a legend of the game isn't he <laughs> uh, Brighton conceded their first goal in 458 minutes of football when they were held to a 1-1 draw by Burnley on Saturday uh, Burnley went into this game on the back of two defeats when they hadn't registered a single shot on target in either game they had seven shots on target here and Sean Dyche said afterwards that they played with a bit more belief do you think that's the key for them do you think I mean maybe they they kind of believe all the cliches about themselves and they've actually got some talented players there they're not just you know meat and potatoes rough and tumble knock it long kind of team they shouldn't have to be like that should they really no, I don't think there's a problem with them being like that for the majority of the games they play because you know it's it's good to have a team with a different style in the league, even if it isn't necessarily easy on the eye or, or impressive. They they play, you know, we sort of talk about pragmatism. That's not necessarily being defensive all the time. That's just working with what you've got and getting the best out of it. And Burnley have been the best at doing that for a long time because. Uh, you know, they have got some decent players, but they are very much look like a championship team on paper. Mm. Um, that sounds like a criticism. It's not intended to be. It's it's just that they've been punching above their weight for a while. Um, and, but, and that assessment to the players' mentality and the way that and, and Sean Dyche that they might stay in the Premier League and that they, they look like a, a Premier League team, you know, established on on in terms of the, how long they've been there now, and, and they really do deserve credit for that. Um, but I don't think there's any problem with the, the play the way they do. And I think they, Daesh picks his games to sort of come out a bit more and play a bit more football. And they can do that against 
Brighton at home and, and Wolves at home and Sheffield at home. And I, I, I think that's just clever management, to be honest with you. And it, it's good to see them do that on Saturday. I don't think they're a bad team at all. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget that they, they made a, a shocking start to the season. I think they went eight games without a win at the start of the season. And, and everyone was saying, well, this is going to be the year that Burnley go down, surely. Yeah, and not scoring goals. Yeah, yeah. and now, now they're in no trouble of relegation whatsoever, really, are they? And that's, that's not happened by accident. So, yeah, fair play to them. Uh, that's also now five games unbeaten for Brighton, who, who looked like they were in a bit of trouble at one point. They've sorted their defence out and, and surely won't have to worry about relegation anymore. Um, if they can somehow bag themselves a proper goal scorer in the summer, could you see them maybe troubling the, the upper echelons of the table? Might be, be we'd be talking about them as the most improved team of next season, perhaps? Absolutely. I think any, any team in the bottom half, you know, if they give, give them a goal scorer, they can, they can cause some damage to the league, to be honest with you. But I don't think that... that um, that saying applies to anyone apart from Brighton more to be honest with you because the rest of their team is, is perfectly set up the way to, to, for what they want to play they've got good ball playing defenders the midfielders are good on the ball and, and Basuma can run all day for them it, the issues have been all season just putting the ball on the back of the net uh, even in, you know the win against Spurs he missed some good chances to kill the game off and maybe they nicked that win on, on Saturday you know if they, they have a, a striker and you can score goals, and the thing is, Neil Mopai is a you know perfectly good striker as well, and a perfectly good centre forward. But he just isn't clinical enough, is he? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, if, if they had so, if they had someone, if they had Danny Ings, they'd be in the top four. <laughs> yeah, <it's probably. laughs> I that. If you had Danny Ings, they would they would challenge for Europe. I really yeah. do think so. Yeah, well, I know he's not a striker, but I'm, I'm really keen to see how that Moises Casado gets on at Brighton, who they signed in, in January. I think he's yeah, uh, a very, very highly well. rated player, isn't he? So, uh, yeah. yeah, one to keep an eye on. Um, the other nil-nil draw of the weekend took place at Molyneux between Wolves and Leicester on Sunday. Uh, Kelechi Inacho scored for Leicester against Fulham in midweek, but did his performance here suggest that Leicester perhaps need to sign a, a better uh, deputy for Jamie Vardy in the summer if they're to, you know, challenge for the title next season or, or top four or whatever? Yeah, I don't know how you do that though, because it's it's the same old thing with Spurs and Kane and, and Luke Ladd with Fernando Torres. Is mm. when you do have a number nine who's going to play every week, how do you sign someone who's good enough to be coming and be back up, but know that he's only going to play five or six games, start yeah. five, six games? But again, the thing is, for Leicester, at some point they're going to have to replace Vardy because he, you know, he's getting on a bit now, and I, I do think he's still got a few years left because some reason he seems to be able to still run all day for them yeah. but they are going to have to replace him at some point and, and do you bring someone in and and, and drop Vardy to the bench maybe I, I'm not sure it's, it's a tough one to ask and I don't really know how Leicester do that at the moment to be honest with you Yeah Do you think we can confidently count Leicester out of the title race now or, or, or are they still a threat and uh, are they are they nailed them for top four at this point would you say? I don't even count them out too much I, I obviously still think City are going to walk the league but it wouldn't surprise me if Leicester do enough to finish second in the season. Mm. Um, obviously, we talked about last season, how they dropped off and, and finished fifth, but I do, I do think they've got enough about them now to get the Champions League places. And I do think they'll finish second, but in, in a way that second's not really in the title race, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, yeah. If you're to me, Leicester finish 18 points behind City, but finish second, that wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. They've just got enough about them to do it. I really do think so. Yeah, I mean, that would be a phenomenal achievement for them if they finished second, wouldn't it? 100%, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. be the second best season in the, the history, obviously, <laughs> yeah. just after the one they win the league. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that result leaves Wolves with just one win in their last 10 games. I feel like they've kind of collectively hit their ceiling this, this season. You know, the manager's kind of taken them as far as he can, and their reputation as a bit of a stepping stone club means perhaps the players aren't kind of wedded to the project. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you to an extent there. Um, I, th- I think they've also just paying sort of the price of not having decent recruitment in the summer as well. They, you know, they lose Matt Doxey and Diego Jota, which is, again, like you said, their stepping stone club. They make bigger moves to Spurs and Liverpool, respectively. And the players they brought in to replace them, well, in terms of sort of um, Nelson Semedo, don't think that good of a play. He had a decent game on Sunday, but I don't think he's been an able replacement. And obviously they lose him and as they've lost Johnny and Johnny's back on Sunday for them. But I, I, I just think now, yeah, you, you want when you sort of players sort of being well to the project. If if you know you're all fighting for something and you're all going somewhere and, and Wolves had their aim of getting to Europe season after season since they've been back up. And and this year obviously that they're nowhere near it and not gonna get anywhere near it. It's hard to motivate yourself, isn't it? Because mm. they're not in danger of going down either. And I think it's just one of them now where Wolves just need to get to the summer as quickly as possible. And if, they, if you have to them the season ending tomorrow, they'll probably take it, to be honest with you. Yeah, they're, they're a bit like one of those towns that you only ever sort of drive through on your way to somewhere else. Just a bit of a kind of like... Uh, thoroughfare aren't they really like for for George Mendes players like none of them you know Pedro Neto is sort of played well this season with a view to joining another club it's not really because he wants Wolves to you know yeah. be brilliant you know in, in, in the long term I, f- I feel a bit sorry for them in that regard and uh, and I wonder how they how they do get to the next level uh, but anyway that's all we've got time for on this week's extended episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast I've been Dan Burke and thank you to Joel Sanderson Murray for joining me and being very gracious about Sunday's result um, there's plenty more one foot podcast action coming your way later this week with Angelina Kelly bringing you a new women's football show before Ian McCourt returns later in the week with all the European football chatter Uh, we'll be back again next week to discuss uh, such fixtures as Leicester v Liverpool Man City v Tottenham and more if you'd like to get in touch with any of our shows the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball Uh, solidarity with Mike Dean and bye for now